Hey everyone, this is Tom Singer. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to inform you about a special offer that I have to join a brand new group called My Sales Call. If you work for a small business or if you're a solopreneur, having some people to talk about ideas and best practices and to have a focus and accountability around sales is so important. It's so easy to get caught up in the busy work that we don't do what we need to do to drive the sales in our business. So I have started a weekly call where people can get together and share ideas around sales and then make a commitment to the group of what they're going to accomplish for the next week. It's just like if you work for a big company, your sales manager would have a weekly sales call. This is your sales call. Go to mysalescall.com to find out more and sign up today. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to my cool kids table. Now, if you've been listening to the last couple episodes, you've heard the announcement, and that is come July, I'm changing up the show a little bit. We have been six years on almost 600 episodes, uh, and we are changing it up. The new name of the show is going to become Making Waves at Sea Level, as in the C-suite in companies. And part of that change comes from the fact that that's who I work with when I'm as a speaker. It's usually someone in that C-suite level or thereabouts that hires me to come into the company or the association to speak and, and work with their team. The other thing is, is I've recently taken a job in the executive search world. If you listen to the last episode, uh, you got to hear my interview with my new boss about uh, how do you find a job in this crazy world? And so a lot of my focus is changing. And I thought, you know what? The podcast has to come along with me in order to make this relevant for me and for you. So as I'm looking to make this transition, one of the things I'm trying to do is, is interview people who are making waves in business. And you know what? One of the industries that's being hit hard, that's really having a storm. You talk about waves, it's more like a tsunami. And that is the association world, especially when it comes to their live events and expositions. Now, a lot of you know I make my living speaking at live events for associations, and I have done that for 11 years. And I've been fortunate. I've worked with some really cool people. And one of the organizations that I worked with early on, I mean, I was pretty pretty much a baby speaker. I was kind of new. So like 10 years ago was the uh, Risk and Insurance Management Society, known as RIMS. And the person who was in charge of their events at that time is still there now. He's now the vice president of events and exhibits. Uh, his name is Stuart Ruff. Lion, and he was one of the coolest people I've ever worked with, and I've worked with hundreds of people, and we've kept in touch. We've remained friends, and I know that his association, their big event, it's a major part of their year, and it was scheduled for April, and we all know what happened in March. The live events world stopped. So Stuart was one of the first people to have to cancel a major event. I'm talking thousands of people, multi-days, lots of venues and events, things happening all around it, and I know that had to have hurt. And I know that to keep moving forward and to succeed and thrive, Stuart and so many of his peers, they have to make waves. They have to pivot. So I thought he'd be a fun person to bring here onto the show and talk a little bit about how does an association get entrepreneurial when the rug is pulled out for him? And, and what's he doing with his team to make waves? So Stuart Rufflion, the VP of Events and Exhibits for RIMS, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm 
Greg, glad to have you. So you've been with RIMS for how many years now? About eight years. About eight years. Wow, that is that is a that is a good run. So I guess yeah. it was eight years ago that I first spoke for you guys because right. because uh, exactly. you were brand exactly. new and I was relatively new in, in this game. Right. Uh, what did you do before that? Have you always been in the the event space? I've always been in the association nonprofit space, and mostly in most of my career for more than twenty years now has been in the meetings and events space for sure, hospitality industry and things like that. So so what do you love about about meetings and events? Why why did you choose that as your career? You know, I love the sense of creating and building a community and bringing people together. And that's one of the great things about associations is that sense of community of people with a common purpose and a common need to learn something. And I really love building programs and bringing people together in that large scale. As you mentioned, the RIMS conference, unfortunately, had to cancel. And that's about a 10,000 person event with 40 some hotels involved and a true citywide convention. So to, to your point, it was very heartbreaking not to have that community aspect for us this year. So to be the person who's sort of at the, the the top of a food chain, you have a lot of employees who work for you. You have a lot of vendors who are involved in this. But with 40 hotels, a major convention center in a major city and all the ancillary things that go into your transportation, your signage and your parties, right. uh, there was a lot of things to wrap up in a very short amount of time once we started seeing the shutdown coming, wasn't there? That was right. I mean, the whole window, uh, as we, we did different scenario planning on RIMS 2020 to see how they may look, and the entire window just changed so much every day. The view of it, every day something was getting worse. Like when COVID first started happening, it wasn't even in Colorado, for example, at that time. But very quickly, the cases developed. And as a risk management society, obviously, having a conference and bringing people together during a pandemic <laughs> is just not, not the right decision to make, right? So, <laughs> no, that's like a double-edged sword, right? When, when you're the risk management people, then you you have right, to be exactly. extra careful. In the end, it was an easy decision to cancel, but it was very heartbreaking. There were there were definitely some tears shed by our C level and by our board. So what's interesting is, is as a speaker, I was looking at second quarter of this year to be my best quarter possibly mm. ever in eleven years of full time speaking for events and. All of a sudden, in early March, when this all started to unravel, I remember being at an event in San Diego where I was sort of on a on a, a, the faculty. I was speaking a little bit. I was on a couple panels, but really, I was just kind of there for three days. I was on stage a few times, but in the three days I was there, I watched my entire second quarter, just April, May, and June events, yeah. especially April and May, just cancel. I mean, I, I must have had 12 events in three days just evaporate. And I remember the day I flew in was the day it was announced that South by Southwest was canceling because right. of COVID. Now I live in Austin and I've spoken at South by Southwest like nine times. I was not going to this year, but I mean, it crushed me to just imagine this icon of my city. It's a 70,000 person conference. Right. It's a lot of our economy is affected by it right. evaporated. But what I told everybody was for me, if a, if a client had to cancel their event on me, I had one conversation I had to have with that client. And then I was pretty much done. We made a decision. Were they canceling? Were they rolling me over to next year? What were we doing with the, the deposit? And after about 15 minutes, it sucked, but it was done. Right. You must have had thousands of conversations that had to take place with the amount of speakers and vendors and hotels, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was really a big process to go through all that. We were really careful about our communication strategies involving our PR department and things like that. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. It was so many difficult conversations. And and to your point, you know, one of the things we pride ourselves on is our economic impact to a destination in a city. So it was really heartbreaking for us to 
to have to pull that piece of business from the city of Denver, who has been such a fantastic partner to our organization in the past. So it was uh, a lot of difficult conversations. And again, some, some tears were shed on both sides. Um, but in the end, you know, we were very fortunate to have such great partners in Denver because they really fully understood the need for us to cancel at that point and really were supportive of our decision. Well, obviously, I consider myself sort of an extended part of the association world and, and the meetings business. And so I've been I've had my hand on this as best that I could. My own trade association. I mean, I, you know, I, I believe if you're in risk management, you should belong to RIMS. If, if you're a plumber, you should belong to the National Plumbers Association. I belong to the National Speakers Association and their conference influence was scheduled for August. So they had a little bit more of a runway than you did to sort of digest what was going on. Uh, they were very hopeful until just a couple of weeks ago that their August conference could happen on some level. It was going to be in Washington, D.C. area. Uh, they figured instead of 2,000 people, they might end up with five or 600, but then they could do some virtual aspects. But they had time. And one of the things they did is they pulled all of their breakout sessions out and started in May delivering them as webinars, uh, which I thought was an interesting way to do it. So twice a week from May through the end of July, they're delivering all of their breakout sessions to members and non-members who bought a ticket and they they lowered the price of the ticket to a virtual price, made it the same this year for members and non-members. And so far, we've delivered, I don't know, like 14 of them. I've been the master of ceremonies, sort of the the host. I, we treat it co-host. We treat it like a talk show, like people are coming on live with with Regis and Kelly, or uh, I guess not Regis. I just showed how old I am live, <laughs> live with Kelly and Ryan. Uh, and we've been interviewing people for their breakout sessions. But they had the advantage that they didn't have to make that decision you know, till May. And then they started doing that. And then a couple weeks ago, they pulled the plug on the live event and they're moving forward with a virtual three days uh, that they're redesigning. Not having any window, what was the hardest part? I mean, what was the, the part that was like just impossible and yet you still did it? You know, the hardest part was really involving uh, the event cancellation insurance policies and things like that. Making sure the policy would, would appropriately trigger was part of our bigger conversation. Um, and, you know, we didn't have that luxury of pivoting a large event like that with, you know, 400 speakers and, you know, 200 sessions and a two week window or a six week window to pivot to virtual at that point. Ironically enough, we were exploring making the conference hybrid but going back into February because I we were concerned about impacts of global travel to the event and things like that. But we were in the end, we're not prepared to pivot uh, virtually. I love the idea of taking the content and repurposing it. And we are looking at ways of doing that. We've created some webinars of our own and, and do some research. We've done some research papers and, and white papers and things like that as well with some of that content. But we did make the decision not to roll over any of the content to 2021 because right now business is changing so rapidly and we don't really know what our content needs are going to be at this point. So, yeah, I'm seeing that with a lot of my clients that whatever they're doing, whether it's virtual, whatever they're doing this year, they're pivoting those people as well. One of the things we've told everybody in the, the breakouts I'm hosting for NSA is your content needs to be evergreen and it has to address what's happening to the world of speakers in 2020 because, you know, much like your world, our, our rug was pulled out from under us because uh, your events cancel. Uh, we don't have anywhere to go speak. So, right. uh, you know, it, and it's that right. hype. It's that hybrid of we need the information to matter for the long run of a career, 
and we need the matter, the information to matter today. So, you know, I think associations are, are kind of having, they're kind of having a rough time. I mean, your association, I, you don't have to say the numbers, but I assume that your, your exposition is a big part of the income for the year for your association. So what are you having to do to, to make waves and, and get creative? Well, honestly, for most associations, I think that's a problem. It's always been sort of the event being a cash cow for an association and not diversifying the revenue as much. And we have been attempting to do that over the past few years, realizing the risk behind relying on event revenue so heavily. So we, you know, we change a lot of our things. We do a lot more virtual education now, a lot of new opportunities, but as well as we created a certification uh, that is also for the risk management discipline and really gives us an opportunity to to train the profession and you know diversify our revenue streams. Uh, going global also for us has been a help in terms of diversifying revenue streams, and we're having a lot of a lot of great conversations and a lot of new sponsorship opportunities coming in from India and Singapore and places like that. So, in terms of making waves and really and truly, the biggest wave I think we're making will be our virtual conference platform that we're going to be announcing. Uh, pretty soon because that's going to create a whole nother world of opportunity for us in terms of sponsorship and revenue and exhibition. And, and I got to tell you, selecting that right platform is rather stressful because you want to ensure the engagement level is there and that it's going to be you know appropriate for a large audience. So that conversation has been uh, a little daunting because there's so many vendors out there and everything, but I'm, I'm, I know in the end, we're going to produce something that's going to be really up to our brand standards. It's going to be excellent. Excellent. So that has been a tough thing for associations is finding the appropriate platform for what they're doing. I mean, Zoom is awesome. We're recording this podcast over Zoom. I've been a user of Zoom for five years, however old Zoom is. I was an early adopter. That being said, you know, uh, it's not the proper thing to run a 10,000 person conference on. And so, you know, I know I know it's been hard. What have you been doing to evaluate platforms? How, how do you where do you even start? We've been on a million demos, me and the team, and we're down to three different vendors right now that we like, and we're engaging our CEO in some of these conversations now and ready ready to pick the right one. But it is incredibly different, but difficult because there's really, there's so many unknowns still about how to replicate an annual conference on a virtual platform, I feel like, you know, in terms of making it truly an experience for people, a good experience, one that you want to engage with uh, for several hours at a time and to be able to network and you know, making sure the platform has has a, a place for commerce. You know, the exhibit hall has to be, you know, multifunctional, multifaceted. It has to be dynamic enough to allow for conversations and between people and video chats and things like that. So there's a lot, lot that goes into this decision because, you know, you don't want to have a misstep because it's going to affect your brand and reputation in the end. And RIMS has a stellar reputation for our live events. And it's, you know, going to be my job and my duty to make sure that reputation lasts into virtual as well. Well, I mean, your events are truly an experience. And much like a lot of, of my clients, that's that's a hard pivot to do. I, I talked to one client who canceled their fall event a uh, little before they had to, but they canceled it just because it was sort of the right thing to do and everything else. But her comment was, I can't pivot it. Because if I pivot it, it's just going to be okay. She said she talked to a lot of other associations and they said, oh, we did a great job under the circumstances. She said the more she would peel back the meeting planners, they would get to the point where they were like, eh, it was an okay experience. And she's like, we can't do that for our brand because our events are experiences. So, you know, I think that digital, I've been doing a lot of digital events, either as a speaker or as an MC. I think under the circumstances, they're great and we have to find ways to go forward. But do you agree that once we get past COVID, and and this could be a year or two, once we get past it, we're going back to the live event. So is that your belief? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of research done around that even right now, too, that people are craving that sense of face-to-face community and people want a vaccine right now, want this to be over so they can convene again. You know, the virtual the virtual experience is never going to be as powerful or as impactful as the face-to-face live experience. That's just, that's just the way we are as humans. The way I've been countering people who are, are making the case that, oh, it's the, it's the death of the trade show. We'll never have it again. Everyone's going to go virtual. And I talk about online dating. Now, I've been married too long. Online dating didn't exist when I was single, but I have a lot of friends who've done it. And I don't know a single person who thought that the online sending chats back and forth was as good or better than when they actually met in person and shared experiences. And I think the same thing is true for our events business. Right, exactly. I agree 100% on that. Like people, you know, the face of the power of face to face is just there and getting business done and, you know, how getting the business done quickly and everything is, um, is the power of a good convention, I think. So replicating that in a virtual world is going to be difficult. So you've been a, you've been a leader in the meetings business, uh, I believe with PCMA, is that correct? That's right. I'm actually chairman of the board this year for PCMA, which is a professional convention management association. And and PCMA, I've spoken at a couple of their events as well. So PCMA, for those who don't know, uh, there are several. In fact, I don't have enough fingers to count the number of association and meeting uh, associations that exist in the world for different niches. But the Professional Convention Management Association is sort of one of the high end ones that really focuses on the people who, who do jobs like Stuart does, who are really running major conventions and events and they themselves put on things that are that are uh experiential their conferences are fantastic some of the most fun you can have is to go to a pcma conference but here's my question because of your role i don't i don't think i realized offhand you were chairman but because of your role as chairman for pcma you are seeing a lot of things that are happening in the world of association and corporate events i mean you're just you have a catbird seat to the whole thing Where are event planners in associations or companies, where are they being really entrepreneurial? What are you seeing people do where you're like, that's a good idea? You know, it's more about what I'm seeing associations do and about, you know, coming up with clever ways to diversify revenue. Like one of the things I heard about an association recently was investing in startups and things like that. You know what I mean? For revenue shares and things like that. But I really think that most people are just getting more creative with virtual classrooms and education opportunities in the association space right now. Um, you know, and, and virtual does present a lot of new opportunities, like I said, in terms of sponsorship and branding and things like that for customers. So it's pretty, um, it's new for associations. Associations are known for being the most technologically advanced. You know what I mean? We're nonprofits and we're a little bit different that way. Um, so it's a, it's a brand new world for associations right now. And I think those that are pivoting and pivoting quickly into digital are, are being very uh, entrepreneurial. So what advice do you have for someone? Let's just stick with the association world, but this can apply to business also. What advice do you have someone who their whole world has been rocked, whether it's COVID or some other problem? I mean, there's so many issues that are happening in the economy and the world. If someone's business is rocked, what advice do you have for them? You know, that's a really, that's a really tough question, honestly. Um, you know, my advice is, to, you know, to keep doing your research and your homework and do as much scenario planning as possible, because there's so many unknowns. None, none of us have a crystal ball right now as to when and how this is all going to end. So the more scenario planning and the more like risk analysis you can do about what the future looks like, I think that's a smart decision to make. So I've got a couple more questions for you, Stuart. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, it's brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Now, 
I know a lot of you out, you out there are thinking about, maybe I should have a podcast. Well, I never could have done this show for six years if it wasn't for the team at Podfly Productions. They take the, the, the headache out of creating a podcast. They make it so that you can just focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Stuart Ruff Lyon. So if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, Go to their site, check them out at podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. And I'll tell you, I not only work with them on this show, but I also work with them on the Digital Enterprise Society uh, podcast, which is one that I host for an association. And I will tell you that they are just really easy to work with. And every time I've had an issue that's kind of crazy or weird, they always have a solution, including when I went to them the other day and said, I want to rebrand the podcast. Is that even possible? Is it a good idea? They came out with the whole plan of how we were going to do it. And I just said, this is why I partner with them. So go check out podfly.net slash cool things. And maybe you too can have a podcast. So Stuart, for the time being, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And I think the word entrepreneur, I think it I think it fits people who are in this convention management and association world because you're having to be really entrepreneurial these days in order to survive. So my question for you is, what's the coolest thing you're doing in business right now? You know, right now, that's a tricky question to say, too, because everything right now is just so I've never been this stressed, frankly, or worked this hard in my career right? as I have been lately. And it's all about you know, again, scenario planning and things like that, really trying to plan for the future. And, you know, I think the coolest thing I'm doing is contributing to, to, to the association world through my involvement with PCMA about really trying to move the industry forward and get us ready for the return of live events. And so that's been a real um, joy for me. I mean, frankly, because of my position with PCMA and, and my, how busy I am with RIMS, I pretty much am dedicated to the events industry like 24 hours a day if I'm <laughs> able to get any sleep. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm enjoying that work very much, being a part of the conversation. And like you said, having that catbird kind of seat or whatever, um, of the entire industry right now as we try to reopen it and get things back to normal. So this must be a rough year to be the chairman of an association. <laughs> it's definitely not the year I had planned. I mean, nor is, nor is it for any of us, I guess, out there. But yeah, you know, I was joking with uh, the PCMA CEO, Sheriff Karamat, recently. I was like, all the glory has gone out of this job this year. You know, like, you know, there are no travel, no presenting yourself at conferences or whatever. It's just really rolling up your sleeves, digging in and doing a lot of hard work and looking at, you know, again, different scenarios and versions of what our future is going to look like. But I kind of believe, you know, this is a rough year for, for me, for the association I'm involved with, for from all, all of my clients. Right. But I'm sort of a glasses half full guy. I think for those of us who are rolling up our sleeves and, and trying new things, I think we'll look back in a few years and say, we're better than we were before. We're better. We're stronger. We're faster. We're sleeker. Do you right. think that that's going to be true for, for conventions? I definitely think that's true because learning to pivot to digital, digital is never going to go away now. Events, events will return in person, but that hybrid component, I believe, is always going to be there now. And frankly, it was something that associations were maybe a little slow to to take on, but you know, there's a lot, a lot of data and research out there that mentions like the more you take your event hybrid, the more it will actually increase your face-to-face -face attendance because people that are on the fence about maybe coming in person and investing those dollars 
you know, they see the hybrid event or they see those, those live kind of components and then they advocate stronger for, for, with their employer to attend in the future. So, so I think that eventually we're going to see an uptick uh, in face-to-face events. You know, we're hoping for to have to break records in, in the next couple of years, we hope. Well, that's that's what I think. I mean, obviously, 2019 was like a record year for the the live events industry as a whole. People don't really realize right. that the live events industry, and I don't know the exact numbers, but it's close to or bigger than the economic impact on our GDP as a country than the automobile industry. But nobody pays right. attention to it because it's not for big companies or whatever. It's thousands and thousands of little people who are meeting planners and speakers and DJs and caterers. Right. I mean, it's it's not it's not one single slice. It's it's lots of little slices. Uh, but you bring up a really interesting point that I want to touch on here is hybrid events. So six years ago, my friend Eliz Green and I started a thing called the Conference Talk Show because uh, we got invited to host a couple years uh, an association's hybrid piece. And, and the meeting planner believed that the at-home audience had different needs than the audience in the ballroom. And so we were there to host all of the the digital part, right? So when they would go to coffee break, we would interview the speakers, we would interview the members. A lot of it was focused on convincing the at-home audience to come next year because it's so much fun. And we thought we were onto something, right? We did this a couple of times. We created an entire product. We called it the conference talk show where we would set it up in that manner. And we did six or 10 different associations and people loved it, but they didn't want to pay for it because having two hosts, the at-home audience didn't seem to matter. So I think we were just ahead of our time, but we have sort of revisited that with what we now call the webinar talk show. We still have the conference talk show when hybrids come back, but we think that come 2021, that's gonna be a viable product where six years ago, people were like, that's awesome. Is it free? Right, exactly. You're absolutely right. And you see the market changing that way and customer behavior is changing right now where they are investing in these virtual events. The reality is they still need that sense of community and education and oftentimes even CEUs, whatever they need to maintain their profession. So absolutely. And it's interesting you say that because, you know, prior to this whole COVID-19 thing, we were planning to do a hybrid event and it would have been free. And as you know, PCMA's current hybrid event or past convenient leaders conferences have been free for an at-home audience as well because the experience is a little bit different. But now we are seeing that the customer behavior is changing. And now this is a new revenue stream. It's going to be a new revenue stream, though, I think will last for us, you know, well into the future in terms of, you know, uh, hybrid registrants and virtual exhibitors and things like that. But doesn't this create more work for the meeting planner because you essentially have sort of two complementary but yet different events running at the same time because you've got your audience in the room, you've got your audience at home, and what engages them is different. Yeah, it's very true. The hybrid events are difficult because, you know, the in-person experience and the scheduling of things doesn't always, you know, doesn't always translate well to a virtual experience, right? The reality is nobody wants to sit in front of their computer for eight or nine hours <laughs> on education and things like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, so, I know that I don't. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, you know, virtual experiences do have to be different. And right now we are planning on a hybrid RIMS 2021. We're still giving that some consideration of what we can do with our virtual audience and give them, you know, a better a better experience and understanding that they're not going to sit there all day like an attendee would be, or like an in-person attendee would be engaged with the conference all day. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the questions I ask everybody who comes on this show, and, and usually it's really broad, but I want to take it into the events business for you. Uh, I ask people, when you look out at the world of people who are entrepreneurial or who are making waves, 
we could talk about you. We could talk about rims. We could talk about PCMA all day long. But I think I think that the best leaders, I think they're observers. So I love to ask my guests when you look out there and, and we'll say in the meetings industry, who do you look at and say, wow, she or he, they're really doing cool things. You know, I do have, I have several event industry heroes and mentors and people I look up to, and I could name so many different people. I mean, first and foremost, I would have to comment on PCMA and like their, their new digital strategies and what they're providing that people are now able to get a digital event strategist certification to help them pivot from live from in-person events to virtual learning and things like that. But, but my hero in the industry is probably uh, Bill Reed. <laughs> I don't know if you know Bill Reed or not. He's the chief event strategist officer for uh, the Hematology Society. Oh, I do know. He is, he is a former chairman of PCMA. He's a former chairman of PCMA. I board. love that guy. Yes, he would be a great guest for your show sometime well, as well. Let's make and, that you know, happen. He's fantastic. Right? Yeah, exactly. He always has some really interesting things. He always has his finger on the pulse of how to move the industry forward and you know keep things you know relevant and, yep. and lively and interesting. Yep, absolutely. No, that's a great choice. I remember him really well. I like him a lot. So I guess the final question that I have for you is I love to find out what people do, what their organizations do. So as, either as an individual or for either of your organizations, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think whatever business we're in, we have to do more than just make money, sell tickets to our meetings. I, I think we have right. to somehow have an impact. So, so what do you do or what does RIMS do or PCMA where you think we, we make a difference? Well, you know, we always try to partner with our cities and, and, and for in-person events on community service projects and donations and things like that. And for example, at our 2017 event in Philadelphia, we partnered with Alex's Lemonade Stand, which was created by a little girl who had cancer and eventually died. And we partnered with them and had different ways that people could you know, donate money on the spot by eliminating cookies and things like that. So we try to do what we can that's destination specific as well when we go somewhere. Uh, beyond that, you know, PCMA is really good. They have a whole website dedicated to giving good about different things you can do in different communities. So it's about sustainability for me, like how can we repurpose and donate things? Conventions are not really, they're getting more and more sustainable and more environmentally friendly, but how can we improve that and make that better for a city is part of that question. Now, how we're gonna do that in the virtual world, I remains to be seen. You know, how we're going to be able to give back that way. And many associations I think struggle with the idea of charity and things like that because they all have their own education foundations where they want their money to go to, right? But still there's this whole concept now that we need to recognize about, you know, giving back to the world. And one of the things I'm proud that we do quantify are the jobs that we create and sustain when we bring our meetings and events to places, the amount of revenue that's generated for the for the city, you know, the people that we keep employed, the doors that stay open, all because our, you know, three or four day convention it happens to be there. So um, quantifying that is a good way of understanding how much you're giving back to a destination or to a partner as well. Awesome. Well, Stuart, this has been great. If somebody's listening to this and they just have to know more about you or about RIMS or about PCMA, how do they find you? You can find me on LinkedIn under Stuart Ruff Lion or contact me at sruff-lion at rims.org. Awesome. Well, Stuart Ruff Lion, thank you so much for being here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, soon to be 
making waves at sea level. I really appreciate it. I love for people to come on and share. I especially like it when I get to interview my friends. So this was really, really cool for me. Uh, And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do the show? So please, if you like the show, tell your friends. Uh, If you like the pivot that we're making to the the new concept, please tell your friends. I got to build a whole new brand around making waves. Uh, So please jump over to uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or uh, I don't know, all the places you get your podcast love, uh, Spotify, etc., and leave a review. Let people know you like the show. That really, really makes a difference. But even more important, if you like the show, just tell me. Sometimes I get an email or a tweet, and I just smile because someone says, I like your podcast. Uh, been doing it for a long time. It wasn't trendy yet six years ago to have a podcast. Now your grandma probably has a podcast. And if she doesn't, make sure she checks out my sponsor, podfly.net slash cool things because they'll even help grandma do her podcast hey we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Stuart. i know you're thinking how is that possible but we always do in the meantime go out there flex your entrepreneurial muscles make sure your ladder's against the correct wall because nothing is worse than climbing a career ladder to find out you were in the wrong place and while you're at it try some new things and have a great day Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.